Well, for those who uh, don't know me, my name is uh, Jordan. I'm the assistant pastor here, and I have the privilege of bringing God's word to you this morning, taken from Luke chapter 1. Uh, we go to God's word as we just sung. These are words of life. Luke chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 57 to 66. Uh, while you're looking for that in your Bible, um, I just was reminded this morning uh, of all the wonderful gifts that God has given to people in, in our church. We have the gift of, of musical ability, um, and we also have the gift of technology. I couldn't print my uh, sermon this morning uh, because of technical difficulties, so I just want to thank uh, some of the tech folks who helped me print it this morning so that we actually do have a sermon. Well, we'll be reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 uh, to 66. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 66. This is the word of the Lord. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And Zechariah asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up these things in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, come before him in prayer as we seek his help in understanding it. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, we thank you for Luke's gospel. We know the word gospel means good news. We know that um, what we have before us this morning is a book of good news. Good news for us as sinners. Uh, that uh, good news that teaches us that we can uh, be reconciled to you through your Son and through faith in him. Lord, give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear it and hearts that would believe this message. Lord, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we pray that you would give us understanding and that you might use this message to help us as we live as followers of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, there was, there's been this popular trend in recent years among celebrities, and they have been naming their kids weird and wild and wacky names. Uh, just share some of those names with you this morning. Uh, recently, Elon Musk named his child Techno Mechanics. Weird name. Beyonce named her child Blue Ivy, and uh, Kanye West named his child North, so his name is North West. I heard a groan at that one. Names are chosen for all kinds of reasons. I mean, sometimes we choose names because they are fashionable. Sometimes we choose names because they have a sentimental 
uh, meaning. Sometimes we choose names because we want to name them after a family member who we want to honor. Names are chosen for all kinds of reasons. Names tell us something about who we are and where we came, came from. You know, take your surname, for example. If your surname is Smith, it's likely that you came from a family of metalsmiths. If your surname is Baker, it's likely that you came from a family of bakers. So names have significance, and we see that here in this chapter of the Bible. This portion of our text tells us the story of how John became John, how he got his name, and we'll learn about the significance of his name here in this text. And you'll remember Luke earlier in, in the narrative tells us this story about an elderly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we remember that they couldn't have children. Elizabeth was um, barren. She had been barren for most of her life. And now it was also biologically impossible for her to have children because she was elderly. She was in old age. Earlier in the chapter, you might remember, Luke tells us about this supernatural event. Uh, Zechariah, who was a priest, goes into the temple. He's about to light the incense uh, that would fill the temple with smoke. And an angel appears to him. And the angel tells him and announces to him that he is going to be a father. And as you might remember, Zechariah couldn't believe his ears. Uh, he didn't believe the angel's message that, that God would give him a child in his old age. And so as a result, you might remember, he temporarily loses his ability to speak. And then uh, Luke comes back uh, to uh, the, he tells us a little bit about Mary and her story, and then he comes back to the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist here. Nine, pa nine months pass by. Elizabeth has conceived, um, and a child begins growing in her womb. And throughout the pregnancy, uh, Zechariah can't speak. Uh, he can only communicate via a tablet, and not the electronic type. <laughs> he uses a wax tablet to communicate with a little stick. And uh, in the ancient world, you'd have these little wax tablets. Uh, the Romans would use them, and, and you could write down a, a message on them and then wipe it clean. And that's what he was using uh, to communicate with Elizabeth. I, I'm not sure whether Elizabeth enjoyed the peace and quiet or whether it was frustrating for the, you know, this pregnant mother uh, being unable to communicate with her husband. But as we see in verse 57, nine months pass by, she gives birth to a son. Um, and childbirth in those days was very different than childbirth is uh, in the modern world. First off, there was no hospital for them to go to. Uh, the birth probably happened at home. Second, Generally speaking, men would not be there with their wives when the child was born. Uh, pregnancy and childbirth was a woman's thing. And so the man would not be present in the room as John the Baptist was born. And, um, and visitors. You know, in the modern world, you give birth and visitors come and they celebrate, sometimes too soon after the birth of the child, you know, within hours. Um, Usually we, we try and give the, the couple, you know, a couple days. And then we go visit the child and we want to meet this little guy or girl. But in those days, that would not happen. 
because under Jewish law, the woman was ceremonially unclean for seven days after the birth of a son, 14 days after the birth of a daughter. And so visitors would not be able to go to the house. They would not be able to go um, bring gifts or meet the child for at least seven days. And then on the eighth day, people would drop in and there'd be a big celebration uh, when people were finally able to come and visit the child. And they'd gather together for a ceremony. And that ceremony was an Old Testament ceremony prescribed by the law of Moses called circumcision. And um, the child would be circumcised on the eighth day. Now, in the Old Testament, this is, not, this is not just a medical procedure. This is an incredibly symbolic uh, ceremony with incre an incredible amount of symbolism. You know, in the modern world, we have all kinds of ceremonies that we uh, celebrate that have symbolism. Take a wedding, for example. Uh, at a wedding, you have a husband and a wife. Everyone gathers together. We celebrate. And then the husband uh, and the wife exchange rings. And the ring would be a symbol of that marriage. Well, in the Old Testament, circumcision was a symbol. And it represented a child's relationship with God. Uh, a, a child would become truly Jewish in the Jewish faith. We become truly Jewish, a part of God's covenant people, when he received this sign. In the New Testament, we are given a new and different sign, a sign that we actually celebrated today. And I'd love to say much, much more about this, but time doesn't permit me. In the New Testament, that Old Testament sign is replaced with a new and better sign, the sign of baptism, which symbolizes many of the same things that circumcision did. But it also uh, represents our um, union with Christ and our incorporation into the people of God as members of his church and his people. But in the Old Testament, like I said, that sign was circumcision. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were Jewish. And we know from earlier in the chapter they were observant Jews. They really cared a lot about observing the laws. And we saw that in verse 6. And so they obey this command to circumcise their child. And in that ceremony, they would also dedicate their child to the Lord. So this child would be a child that was, um, his life was completely de dedicated and devoted to God. So this ceremony was he held. People joined together. Friends and family were probably there. Um, there might have even been food. And then during the ceremony, the father would announce the name of this child. And typically, um, people would probably act surprised by the name, but there was no surprise here because the child would be named after the father, usually. And in, you know, if you wanted to get really crazy, you might name the child after like a cousin or, or a grandfather, but usually it would be named after the father. And so the time comes, we see, for the child to be named. And uh, Zechariah, you'll remember, he has no voice. So he can't actually say, declare the name. So it's left to Elizabeth to name the child. Everyone's expecting her to say Zechariah. That was the tradition. And you can imagine the confusion when Elizabeth announces that the child will be named John. And look at the reaction in verse 61. People are confused, you know, but, but Elizabeth, 
There are no relatives, don't you know? There are no relatives in our family named John. How could you name this child John? Uh, makes no sense. You see, she's breaking tradition. Not because she wants to be difficult, but because God has told her to break that tradition. Now, just as a side note, it's a reminder that tradition is not ultimate. I mean, tradition is a very good thing. I mean, Presbyterians, we're very traditional. You come to church, you know what to expect. You know when to stand and when to sit. But ultimately, tradition does not, is, not, uh, is not trump uh, God's word. God has commanded Elizabeth to name the child John, which means that she would break tradition. Um, and that would have been a very radical thing in those days. Of course, the relatives wanted a second opinion. So as soon as she says, you know, the child will be named John, they all turn to Zechariah and they go, what do you think? Obviously, he can't speak. So he takes this little non-electronic wax tablet and he writes, his name is John and lifts it up for everyone to see. And what happens next is actually quite dramatic. You know, this guy who has been silent and deaf for nine months, he begins speaking. But the words that come out of his mouth are not his own words. They are the words of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. Look at verses 67 to 79. I mean, I'll just read these verses for you. They speak for themselves. They're beautiful verses. But um, God gets the first word. And he uses Isaiah, uh, Zechariah to um, deliver that first word to these people. And he says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then of, of John, he says, and you, child, you, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So he just breaks up into that song, into that statement. As soon as he's able to speak, and he, he um, you can imagine, friends and family and relatives, they're all stunned. You know, what's going on here? Um, they were stunned that, that they broke, that this family broke tradition. They were probably even more stunned that Zechariah, had been, who had been deaf and mute for nine months, he's suddenly given his voice. And they would have been stunned, most stunned, by the words that came out of uh, Zechariah's mouth. After all, what was Zechariah claiming? He was claiming that his son, John, would be a prophet. That's a, that's a big claim. Prophets, you'll remember, a prophet hasn't visited Israel for 400 years. So this is a massive claim for Zechariah to say, 
my child is going to be a prophet. And not just any prophet, but the prophet who would prepare people to meet Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And then, of course, there was, you know, Mary. You know, Mary, remember, Mary's part of the family, too. So we've got Elizabeth, Zechariah. Mary is a cousin or a niece. And she's also um, pregnant. And her birth is, her pregnancy is also miraculous. Um, so there are all these strange and miraculous things happening here in this text. What do you make of all this? You know, think about how you would respond if you were there um, in the flesh witnessing all of this. If you just, you know, you were a distant cousin who was invited to this uh, circumcision and you come just expecting a normal, uh, you know, uh, Monday afternoon what would you think about this family? Uncle Zechariah is claiming that his son is going to be a prophet. And then you have your Aunt, Aunt uh, Elizabeth. She's a senior citizen, and she's just had a child. And then you've got your cousin Mary, and she's six months pregnant. And she's claiming that her baby has been put there by the Holy Spirit. What do you make of all this? It would seem very unbelievable to you that all of these things would happen. And of course, some would have believed, others would have been skeptical, uh, some would have been unsure, but they, they were pondering these things. They didn't really know what to make of, of these events. And we see that in verse 66. In verse 66, people were asking themselves this question, what will this child be? They weren't sure. They didn't know much about this child. In fact, we actually, today, we know much more about this child than they did. Uh, we, we have the completed story. We have the whole Gospel of Luke. We know how his life turned out. We know exactly what, what John would do, that he would grow up to preach and that he would call people to repentance and that he would baptize them and that he would teach them uh, who Christ is and what God would do through Christ. We know that, but they didn't. And so they pondered these things and they, were, they knew God was up to something, but they weren't quite sure what he was doing. Now Luke will tell us much more about John and his ministry and his message as we, we go through the Gospel of Luke in weeks to come. But I want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about his name. The name John is a special name. I'm sure all the Johns in the room will agree with that. You have a special name. And the reason your name is special is because this name has been chosen by God. God named this child. Zechariah and Elizabeth didn't name the baby. The baby was named by God. And the angel instructed Zechariah and Elizabeth to name the child. Now, like I said earlier, there are all, all sorts of reasons why someone might choose a name for a child. You might do it because it's fashionable. You might choose a name because uh, it has a nice ring to it or because it's a family name. But when God chooses a name for a child, it wasn't because the name was fashionable or unique, because God does not do anything randomly. God has a reason and a purpose for all the things that he does. And God gave this child the name John for a reason. The name John means God is gracious. Often it, you see this in the Bible. God assigns a name to someone for a specific reason. We saw that with, uh, where's an example of this? Abraham. Abraham. You all remember Abraham. Father Abraham. 
Uh, we used to sing that song in Sunday school, Father Abraham has many sons. But before his name was Abraham, his name was Abram. Just a slight change there. And the shift changes his name from meaning exalted father to meaning father of a multitude. So God changes his name for a reason. Uh, take Jacob. God changes his name to Israel, which means he who perseveres with God. Or take Simon, Jesus' disciple. He changes, Jesus changes his name to Peter. Also a great name if your name is Peter. Because Peter means rock, and Christ would build his church on Peter's confession. So God does this sometimes in the Bible. He gives people names, and he changes people name, people's names, and he doesn't do it randomly. It always signals that something big, something momentous and significant is going to happen in the story of redemption. And there are miracles happening as well, and miracles often too in the Bible signify that something big is going to happen in God's plan of redemption. And so you have all these miracles. An elderly woman gives birth. A virgin becomes pregnant. A man who was deaf and mute, he is able to speak. Now, these events, just by way of illustration, these events are, you know, they kind of serve to like, kind of act like a siren. You know, in parts of the U.S., especially um, in places like Kansas um, and Oklahoma, uh, towns have these things called tornado sirens. And you know that a tornado is coming when the siren, that, that obnoxious siren starts blasting. Well, the, the miracles, the birth, the name, the life of John was kind of like a siren. Unlike a tornado siren, which signals danger, this siren was saying a different message. It was saying grace. Grace. God is about to show his grace and his mercy in an extraordinary way. Again, John's name was God is gracious. And let me say a few more words before we conclude today. Let me say a few words about grace. What is grace? And we talk about grace all the time. We sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. What is grace? The word grace literally means gift. And it could be any kind of gift that God gives us. For example, we sit down at the table and we say grace. Uh, we are acknowledging that the food in front of us didn't come upon our plate by chance, but that ultimately, even though someone cooked it and harvested it and prepared it, ultimately, that food comes from God's fatherly hand. And so we understand that things like food and oxygen and life and relationships and friendships, those are graces, gifts from God that we should be thankful for. And James reminded us in his letter that every good and perfect gift that comes to us from above is from God. Grace is also not something that we deserve or that we earn. You might have some Roman Catholic friends. They will teach that. They'll teach that if you want to get grace, you need to earn it by going to Mass, by confessing your sins, by seeing a priest, and then that grace will be given to you because of your effort. Well, I don't believe the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that grace is a free gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that, for by grace 
you have been saved through faith, and that's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man boast. So grace is a gift. Now, just by way of illustration, imagine, you know, we just celebrated Christmas. Imagine, you know, at Christmas time, you have all your kids together. You're celebrating. You're giving them their gifts. They open their gifts. They're so excited. Uh, they start playing with all their toys, and then you say to them, okay, now, $120 from each of you. That's not a gift. That's something that you've earned. That's something that you have to work for. Uh, gifts, uh, gifts are free. A true gift is free. Uh, you don't have to work for it or earn it. And so that's what grace is. It's a free gift. When we speak of grace, we're usually referring to the free gift of salvation offered to us in Christ, the forgiveness of sins. And Luke here in chapter 1 is going to begin to present this package, this gift. And in each chapter, he's going to unwrap that gift bit by bit by bit. Uh, in, in Luke 1, he tells us, he announces the gift through John, that God is going to be gracious. And through this name, John, which means God is gracious, he is going to announce the gift that God has for us. And then little by little, he's going to unwrap that gift. You know, in chapter 2, he'll begin to unwrap that gift as he announces the birth of Christ. And as we proceed through the book, he will slowly unwrap the gift more and more until we see the gift in all its glory and all its fullness, the gift of Christ, the risen, resurrected Christ. And that's the spoiler that I have for you. At the end of Luke's gospel, we will see Jesus resurrected, God's gift to us. And that's a wonderful gift. We, most of us here are Christians. We understand that what this gift entails, that it entails um, life everlasting and the forgiveness of sins. I think the unfortunate thing is that we often um, treat this gift so very poorly. And I, I just want us to take time to personally reflect um, on our own lives just to be honest with ourselves, and I'll be honest with myself too. If I'm uh, honestly looking back at 2023, I could tell you that though there were many good moments and moments where I was thankful and moments where I, I, I was, uh, served the Lord, there were also many moments of failure, moments when I did not appreciate God's gift of grace, uh, moments where I sinfully uh, thought to myself, well, God owes me. Moments where I was discontent with what I have. Uh, moments where I misused the things that God gave me. Uh, moments of complaining and grumbling and entitlement. Have you had moments like that yourself? I think if we're being really honest with ourselves, as we look back at this past year, what do we see? We see 365 days of God's grace. We see 365 uh, million moments of God showing us mercy and kindness and favor. And we also see moments where we did not appreciate His grace, where we failed to understand His grace, where we ignored His grace, where moments of complaining and grumbling and bitterness and entitlement and pride. These sins are common to us all. And if we look back at this past year, 2023, we can see that the year was 
was littered with these, these sins. But I want to remind you about the beautiful thing about God's grace. The beautiful thing about God's grace is that just as our good deeds do not qualify us to receive grace, our misdeeds, our sins, do not disqualify us from God's grace if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That's the beautiful thing about grace. You can't earn it, but you can't lose it. That's wonderful. And so we're reminded, I think this name, John, God is gracious, it's meant to serve as a reminder to us of God's grace this year. He is so gracious that all of, as you reflect on the sins of this past year, you can know that God in Christ has dealt with all of the sins of 2023. You know, um, I love that hymn, the words of that hymn that says, when Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. So you can look back, not just at this last year, but you can look back to the cross and you can remember on the cross, Christ dealt with all of your sins. But let's not take that grace for granted. You know, as we look forward to 2024, as we begin a new year and a new day, the question is, how are we going to treat this God who has been so kind to us? How are we going to treat the Savior who died for us? And see, the most logical, the most biblical response to, to grace is gratitude. Gratitude, that we are to be thankful for such a great salvation. You think about this, I come to your house, you cook a fantastic meal for me. I'll accept any invitations after the service. But how should I respond to that? You know, do I respond by ignoring you? Do I respond by, um, by making fun of you? Do I respond by being mean to you? How do I respond to the, the grace and the kindness that you've shown to me? I, I respond with gratitude. That's the natural response, isn't it? You say thank you. And not only do you say thank, thank you, but you show your thankfulness. Not because you want to pay for the meal, but because you want to express your thanks to the one who has provided it for you. And that's, that's kind of how we should respond to the grace that has been shown to us, with gratitude, hearts of gratitude. We're not trying to earn God's favor. We're not trying to work for God's favor. But we are truly thankful for it. And as we begin a new year, we express that thankfulness by living for him, by serving him, by loving him, by, showing, uh, by doing those good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Not because we are required to do that to earn our salvation, but because it's a way to show our gratitude. And so, as we begin a new year, I want to close with this. And as we think about those words, God is gracious, you know, the, 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 the meaning of that name, John, God is gracious, we think about those words, why don't we do just that? Why don't we begin a new year by living for him, by serving him, and by praising his name, for the Lord truly has been gracious to us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for uh, Christ Jesus and his birth. We also thank you for the birth of John and, uh, and the life of Elizabeth and Zechariah and, and what this has to teach us about grace. 
and how he uh, served to point us to the, the gift of eternal life, which we receive through Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Lord, we just thank you um, for the, the, that, that um, our, our sins do not disqualify us from your, your grace. But instead, Lord, you call us to bring our sins to the foot of the cross and that you call us to uh, repent and believe uh, in Jesus. And so we pray that if there are those who have not repented and believed in Jesus, that they might, your spirit might be working in their hearts to do so. And for the rest of us here, that you might be uh, working within our hearts that gratitude that flows from grace. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.